mi sono alzato Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao Stamattina mi sono alzato e ho trovato l'invaso Oh partigiano, portami via Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao Partigiano, portami via che mi sento di morire. Hello, it's a beautiful day in sunny Leeds and you are listening to Bella Ciao, the only place on Leeds Student Radio for chat, interview and music from a hard left perspective. I'm joined, as ever, by a local stand-up comedian and capital worker, Liam Cook. How are you doing, Liam? Hello, it's lovely, uh, it's lovely to be back, at, back in the studio. Good, good. I was trying to think of the most cutting introduction I could give you, and um, I, th- I thought local stand-up comedian is <laughs> pretty much as bad as it gets. I've got um, Leeds' only comedian. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's bigging you up, though. Leeds' most beautiful son. Yes, well, um, that is, that's just fact. Uh, that's all my names. Yes. Well, how how are you? How's everything been I'm over the last right. two weeks since we last saw you? Uh, I just had a full day at work. It's been it's been really dull. Um, uh, nice. That's pretty much it. Uh, I haven't got any jokes for this bit, which is a shame. Yeah. It's right at the top of the show. Yeah. This is this is where most people listen. Yeah, They're yeah, going to yeah. be gone in a few minutes. Well, we'll have analysis later. Oh well. Did we've also awesome? yes. Let's, we've also got Helena. Hello, Helena. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Fresh from the women's track yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feeling really excited and tired at the same time very good well shall we go go back into that in a bit more detail we've also got robin spenlow astrophysicist extraordinaire <laughs> hello good to be here how, how is everything robin uh, doing all right i had a bit of a weird one this week oh yeah got an email on wednesday saying i had a <clears throat> had a deadline on tuesday and i hadn't known about it oh dear so then that's 24 hours after. Yeah, yeah, so I was already a day late, so oh, I was no. a bit frantic. Oh, Jesus. Getting through that. But Jesus, that is now Jesus. done, so good. It's done, now. you got it done? Yeah. All right, only 25 mark deduction or whatever. 15. It's okay, it's only your future. Doable, yeah, yeah, <laughs> small part of my future. Very good. We've also got Jake Wood. Hello there, hello, how's hello. it going? Hello, all right, how are you doing? Yes, I'm great. Well, you know, I've got a lot, on at, a lot on at the minute. I'm currently embroiled in a vicious dispute over a gym membership, which I have no intention, <laughs> uh, no intention of paying for. I have been that guy uh, ringing up daily saying that I'm about to go to the financial ombudsman service. <laughs> uh, I'm impressed you know what an ombudsman is. I, I, a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> What's an ombudsman, Jim? Uh, it's essentially a kind of... You know, it's an arm of the regulatory system. It, right. it, it works collaboratively. Okay, boring. With, yeah, uh, it's, it's not uh, appropriate radio discussion. But I do have some good news. What's your good news, uh, Jake? My good news is that I am leaving my job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to to another, job. another job. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's essentially very similar. Oh dear. Oh. So, what's your new job, Jake? Uh, it, it is doing admin. Uh, Woo! Similar, Woo! similar to my previous job of admin. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Who are you doing admin for? Uh, I will be doing it for a a franchise of cleaning companies. Get in. How how fantastic! Are is they that? outsourced? Uh, to Capita. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they're not. Um, but that's nice. Yeah, but you can still unionize them. Uh, yeah, and I mean they should unionize themselves. <laughs> mm, yeah. From what I hear, uh, through the grapevine, the uh, the cleaning workers are in fact unionizing. So I will be able to support that from yeah. the uh, inside. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. And we also have making his first appearance to the show a core member 
of the radio team. We've got Harry Hayton Isles, former fine art student, current primary school teaching assistant. Indeed. Anything else you'd like to be introduced with? Um, no, I'll add more more feathers to my cap. Okay. In the future, as we as we yeah, you know, stay yeah. mysterious for the time being. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced you're close enough to the mic, really. <laughs> Okay, that's probably that, that's that better? better. I think the last yeah, bit might yeah. have been lost to the audience, but I think we're all good. How's your week been? I'm horribly uneventful. Oh dear, no funny, yeah. no funny incidents at the primary school. I feel like it would be slightly inappropriate to uh, to go into yeah the trials and tribulations of. Oh, well, nice to know you value your trip. career over yeah. the radio show. <laughs> Uh, and sharing a mic with me, we have our guest for the week, esteemed communist and sex therapist, <laughs> Tabitha Bast. How are you? How are you, Tabitha? I'm good. I'm not sure how close to the mic I should get, That's which right. is maybe not the question. That's sex about therapist. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, very excited to be here. Um, just a quick shout out to my boyfriend who's in hospital due to no fault of my own. Um, and yeah, I hope he's okay while I'm sitting here talking sex with a bunch of 20 year olds. <laughs> I'm actually 24. <laughs> So, um, it, it was actually sunny earlier, it's quite cloudy now, but as a first song to kick us off with, I'm going to go with one that, that was appropriate for the weather we experienced earlier, which is Max Romeo, Socialism is Love. Uh, oh, it's right there, Liam. Have it. It's all right. There we go. It's saved. It's saved. And that was Max Romeo with Socialism is Love. Uh, a very nice reggae song for you all on this Saturday afternoon. So for this next section, you are, by the way, you're listening to, if you've just tuned in, Bella Chow Radio. And uh, we're going to no be talking listening. about... No one's listening, so that's fine. <laughs> Do you know what? I think we may have one or two this week. A couple we of people... We got 100 listens last week. 125 on the... On wow. the yeah. shouldn't dismiss these people. <laughs> yes, no. So Jimmy we're going to talk about uh, the Women's Strike Assembly now, which happened yesterday on International Women's Day. Yes. Which... International Working Women's Day. That's yes. right, International Working Women's Day. What a liberal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm ca- yeah. Cancel me. Cancel me. Um, so yeah, Helena. Do you want to talk about what happened yesterday? Yeah, of course. So I think we got more people than we expected. We got about 200 people coming to our rally, and I think that was really, really inspiring. Uh, I think we, the fact that we had a crush was really good, even though we had like I think one kid. I think so too. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was like really great, and I think it signaled to the fact that we think about you know, women who have children and we want them to be involved even if they have children, you know, they have an opportunity to come. And it was really exciting because we had some sort of like an impromptu march, which I don't think we, like, we didn't publicize in a route or anything. We didn't talk to the police about it. And we went through the roads, we went through the shopping malls, which was really great because... The security guards were just like, oh, no, you can't be here. And then streams and streams of feminists were just like passing by in front of him. That was really great. And then we went to the really opulent arcades. Yeah, uh, that was And people were moment. just like shocked. Yeah. How dare they scream about feminism in our beautiful, posh arcades? And I think that was really great. And a lot of people said that it was one of the uh, best marches they'd been in in Leeds. And I think it was the fact that we were just like kind of... As much as we could, disrupting, um, you know, the the everyday life of people. Uh, yeah, and then we had an assembly with like 50 people, which was also really good. And I think there's definitely like a desire to have uh, a bigger feminist presence in Leeds. And yeah, I'm glad we organized, you know, in a city in the north. Mm. 
in the UK, which is a really neoliberal country. But despite that, I, I think we did good. Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of moment when the... Because I sort of stood outside the arcade and the march sort of was coming through and you had this, like, mm. opulence of the arcades. This sort of, like, ragtag bunch of, like, feminists walking through it and, like, pissing yes. everyone. Well, pissing off the security guards. Um, yeah. <laughs> and people there. Yeah, I feel like this by the weather as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The weather was, was terrible. Yeah, yeah, no... It was yep. good. It was good. No, I think it was absolutely. a successful day all told. So if people missed out on the march but want to get involved in the stuff that's mm-hmm. sort of come about as a result of it, what, what might they do? Elena? So hopefully we're going to have more events planned and more uh, meetings planned so people can get involved and come. We have a Facebook page called Women's Strike Assembly Leads. We also have an email if people want to contact us through our email, which is womensstrikeassemblyleads at gmail.com. And... Yeah, basically, hopefully we just, you know, can build a, a a bigger feminist presence in Leeds and react to sexist things, but also establish our own politics um, independent of just reacting to things. Nice one. So, um, one sec. Uh, go on. I uh, have a new manager of my team at Samsung oh, Capital, and uh, I asked my manager whether or not I'd be allowed to um, take an hour lunch um, so I could pop down to the women's strike. And the official decree of Capita was that if I was a woman, they wouldn't sack me. <laughs> but as I am a man, then they would have to sack me. Um, no, we disagree that with that. <laughs> <laughs> we disagree with that. Great to have such welcome players, isn't it? Indeed. I'll tell you what, everybody at my job was doing their bit for International Women's Day. <laughs> they, they were uh, posting selfies of themselves. Uh, yeah. With the hashtag balance for better? Yes, yes. Oh. Yes, with essentially a bunch of women in kind of suit clothing and a bunch of guys in suit clothing on the other side. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, and yeah. showing the balance. I think that really, really exercised leverage yeah. over the uh, male patriarchal sort You know, of women CEOs, system. that's how we get equality. Mm, definitely. I feel like our job's done and we can go now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it was mostly pretty depressing day in a lot of ways, only, you know, but greatly tempered by quite an actually fairly uplifting demo and rally and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, every woman in my girlfriend's office got sent a bouquet of flowers <laughs> uh, for International Women's Day. Yeah, because ridiculous. nothing really, nothing shows quite how much women are able to do everything men can do, yeah, like yeah, yeah. receiving flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. I think for next year we need to get rid of the law that prohibits political strikes and Agreed. we need to get unions involved Agreed. to get it to the level that other countries have achieved. Agreed, yes. Well, I, mean, I think the political strikes thing is something I think that's been floated around Labour manifesto. I don't think it made it way, way, its way into the last manifesto, but I think it's something that's been suggested and I think it would be pretty good. Pretty good. Gets 10 out of 10 from Yes, Bella Chow endorse legalising political strikes <laughs> unsurprisingly um, right, yeah. are we doing Democrats? I think we'll do let's do another song I yeah. feel like the last episode was a bit light on music and music's more interesting than us um, so we're going to go with uh, Street Politician by Novelist featuring David Cameron hello you are listening to Bella Chow FM your only place on Lee Student Radio for chat interview and music from a hard left perspective um, that was novelist with street politician one probably the only grime tune to ever feature david cameron um, and we're now going to chat a little bit about the american race for the democratic primary nomination following on from our discussion last week of anti-semitism top comrade ilan omar has been accused of anti-semitism 
quite spuriously, we feel, this week. Isn't that right, Helena? Absolutely, yeah. I think the fact that she just spoke against um, how much um, Israel is an important part of American politics and how much that drives uh, money into American politics, I think that made her uh, a target of supposedly anti um, that she was saying anti-Semitic things. But in fact, I think it is because American politics isn't used to having any like pro-Palestinian presence. Mm -hmm. And that's why people are, are so defensive about it. And because the United States like makes just so much money out of like selling weapons to Israel. Mm -hmm. And I think with Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib as like two congresswomen that are unapologetically pro-Palestinian, that is going to start to change. But we can see how they're already putting like obstacles um, in their way of, of just, just like supporting the Palestinian people. So I, from the only thing I remember is I, I'm, I was trying to work out uh, as everyone else was speaking how I could word this in such a way as that it wouldn't um, as that it wouldn't uh, either fall out of my mouth like a wet turd or annoy somebody and I couldn't do it. Um, but wasn't it the, the the original tweet that Ilan Omar put um, that caused all the problem was talking about um, got to get those Benjamins yes as in, with re with reference to IPAC and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the Israeli lobbying of uh, Congress now. I, I think the the one thing that no one could deny is the l terrifyingly large amounts of money that IPAC give a APAC or IPAC APAC APAC um, give to uh, give to uh, I mean technical clarification they don't actually give any money right they're a sort of lobbying group um, but they but they kind of facilitate the fund flow of money yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. but just it's but, all yeah. very complicated yeah I remember learning about it in A two politics but um, but I think that there is like there is there must be a way to say you've got to be careful about um the tropes that you're using when you're calling out such things so that you um don't potentially basically give uh give people the opportunity to call you out on being anti-semitic and i think there's a way to say that which isn't doing what aoc did which is um to i think panic because uh, mm. looking at how the British left is getting torn apart by um, anti-Semitism, I think there is like a... It's so difficult to find out what the perfect line is. I think you, ne you need to look at it in a broader context, though. Like, you need to look at, like, Ilan Omar's, like, just, like, life as an activist and how she hasn't really been, like, an anti-Semitic activist. And I think that's, that's what's important, mm. though. Like, you cannot, like... Because obviously there is a problem with, like, you know, lobbies, like, handling money... Um, and like lobbying through money uh, with like Congress people in the United States, and how that affects their position like about like Israel, I think I think that is fair to say without like, if if you look at the broader context of like, if they're not like an anti-Semite, an anti-Semite, then that's I think that's what matters really because there is a reality about it, but you obviously need to divorce that from the the, the anti-Semitic tropes about like. Jewish people and like money mm. but I think I think that's what's most important really and I think there's been like also something to like it's really important to say there's been a lot of attacks on like black radicals and their mm. position on like mm. Palestine in the United States going on at the moment so it's not only been in Halomar it's been like Angela Davis it's made mm. it's been like Matt uh, Lamont Hill I think he's called and I think that is a problem because that like really leaves um, out of the hook like white supremacists who support Israel 
but who are actively anti-Semitic. Yeah. Because if Israel is positioned as like the the thing that you're going to use in your activism against anti-Semitism, then it just like it it, it erases a, a large amount of people who just love Israel because they want to see Jews leave the United States or different parts of Europe so they can go into oh. Israel and not bother them anymore. And also, I think it's worth mentioning, you don't have to look too carefully at the current state of Israeli politics to come up with some fairly valid criticisms. Um, yeah, well, that, that's sort of the, that's the point that um, a lot of people were making against Ilan Omar. It's like, oh, I'm against the Israeli government, hmm. but there is this um, sort of like anti-Semitic current in what yeah. she was saying. It's For me, it's about how do you straddle the line between... Um, defending the right to defend the Palestinians without doing a sort of denialism of anti-Semitism that you get so often in the left at the moment. There was a great thread, of actually, of people who criticised Ilan Omar and then pictures of them taking selfies with Richard Spencer, you know? Yeah. I would also say that I feel like this really drives home how um, significant Bernie Sanders would be in a yes. legislative sense. Yeah. So a Bernie Sanders government would be able to, as a Jewish guy making policy surrounding the Middle East, that's, you know, a hugely significant thing. And Bernie did eventually, after dragging his feet for a while, back Ilan Omar. Mm, yeah, no, he did. But I do think we need to be careful about Bernie Sanders' own anti-Semitism. <laughs> it's been repeatedly um, shown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and uh, noted, statement. noted Jewish people like Meghan McCain made, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. made it real, real offended. Um, I'm so excited for Bernie because just based on the Corbyn um, uh, precedent that if you have massive rallies, that does mean something. Yeah. Um, it's like Bernie's been turning out to rallies in Iowa, in mm. Brooklyn, and he's got one planned in Chicago. Has that already happened? I can't remember. It happened the other it's day. Yeah. The other day. Yeah. It was big as well. Um, it's just ah, oh, it's gonna win. He's gonna beat. He's gonna beat Trump. Ah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing him wag his finger a lot. Uh, yeah. we, were, we were having he's a, a real finger wagger. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got such technique. Doesn't he? <laughs> like, like the the finger wagging is is next level, isn't it? Yeah, I've never really real. seen anyone wag their finger quite like Bernie Sanders. No, it's great. We'll try. <laughs> <laughs> this is radio. Every, everybody's wagging their fingers, much like a, a Brooklyn New Yorker. Mm. But a uh, thing we were Yorker. A thing we were saying the other day is that, you know, obviously Trump runs on this kind of like anti-feminist kind of masculine sort of image. Mm. And obviously he, he doesn't really live up to that image no. when you compare him with Bernie Sanders, even though he is this, you know, absolute misogynist. You know, when you look at the way he speaks, his kind of elocution and the way that he kind of gesticulates with his hands is all very effeminate, right? Mm, Whereas absolutely. with Bernie, it's, it's... Yeah, Bernie Bernie's packing something down there, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got BDE, as absolutely. Bernie Sanders. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, definitely. I mean, I, and, and, you know, I, I really think... I think probably the bigger, the bigger obstacle to Bernie being president is the Democratic Party. I think mm. probably the American public is, like reasonably to the left of what the Democratic Party is. I mm. think if you can get through those, you know, absolute bores who just care about spreadsheets and get to the American public, then you can probably do a decent job against Trump. Mm. But the Democrats are, well, A, the, sort of the National Congress is, like, determined to rig it against him, and B, like, Democrats are quite boring people who are basically Tories with a conscience, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, the word socialism sends him really scared. Mm. But but if he, can get, if he can get through the nomination, which I don't think he will, I think he'll, he'll, he'll get... Be, you know, tricked out of it one way or another. I think he really is in with a good shot. Yeah, yeah I think he, I think he's going to get. It. I I think 
Um, the left vote isn't split because Elizabeth Warren, I think she's just, she has all the hallmarks of a crash and burn primary yeah. candidate. Mm. Um, but the, le- the, the centre is split of six or seven different ways between various people that we don't know about that attack people with. Well, crime. I mean, they'll be gone. It'll be, it's going to be Harris versus Sanders is it Harris by Sanders? the end. That's also it's going to be, yeah. Um, and... But I think that's the funny thing about democracy, isn't it? Is that occasionally it does the thing that the elites don't Sometimes. want it to do. Um, There's also never been, I think, a Jewish presidential candidate before. Has there never been a Jewish candidate? I don't think so. Oh. So that would be a first, and I think that will be a big, big barrier for him. It's not the anti-Semitism that people are talking about, obviously, but I think that will be quite a big barrier. I, I, I can't wait for... Anyway, who cares about the Yanks? Let's have another song, shall we? And yeah. then talk about sex, which is far more interesting. <laughs> Let's play your song, Tabitha. Would you like to introduce this song? Um, we've got Common People by Pulp, um, just because it's about sex and class. Nice one. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Bella Chow on Lee Student Radio. And that was Pulp with com- with their anti-authenticrat anthem, Common People. And uh, ten points to anyone who knows who that song is written about. Pulp. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've had a few beers. Um, We've all had a few. Yanni's Varoufakis' wife. What That's was her right. name? Danai oh, Protu. Yeah, there we go. Nicely pronounced. <laughs> yeah, written about Yanis Varoufakis' Yanis wife. Fun fact, though, never quite confirmed, but never quite denied either. All right, so now we're going to talk about sex with our esteemed sex therapist comrade, Tabitha. So I've got, just to start off, how does politics influence your sex practice, both professionally and personally? <laughs> I'm not going to give you some personal stories right here. Burn. What I'm going to do is riff off the last bit that we were talking about, about American politics, and start with a story. So um, some research came out at the end of last year into the fantasies of Republicans and Democrats. Oh, wow. Uh, Oh, excited. (laughs) I get them keen early. Um, So um, what was really interesting, and perhaps not that surprising, maybe I should ask for 10 points if anyone can guess, but Republicans' um, fantasies tended to be around um, swinging and orgies and all sorts of extramarital sex and Democrats' fantasies. What do you think they might have been about? Mm-hmm. Okay, so BDSM was a really yeah, big yeah. thing. It was all around power play. Um, so those two sorts of fantasies were really interesting. And with a bit of analysis, um, the, the sort of trite example is how does politics inform their sexual fantasies here was that actually the political values that people held dear were in antithesis to the things that they were darkly fantasizing mm. about. So you've got the Republicans fantasizing everything that wasn't to do with the family. As you've got the Democrats with their sort of, their, let's just go with that, their vision of sort of equality and fantasizing about power play and that being really sort of extreme and eroticized. So I think when we're thinking about um, the way our political values interrelate to with sex, I think we're looking at two things. So on one hand, I'm assuming all your hundred listeners probably are of a sort of ilk of feminist and communist, and so we probably don't need to do that tick list of, yeah, you know, this is what we're into. Um, but at the same time, we've got this tension within where on another level we're thinking about things which are uh, much darker and actually maybe in contrast to some of our political mm, values. Yeah. So if you've got all of that, what is the um, hard left's political conformity with sex at the moment? 
would be a question and how might that relate to people's fantasies so if for example queer polyamorous and um kink was all part of the new the new uh, sexual norm within the hard left then what I would expect to see is some sort of like really filthy fantasies around, I don't know, wedding nights or <laughs> some kind of like nuclear family fantasies going on there. Radical uh, monogamy. Radical <laughs> monogamy, yeah, exactly. Oh you said it now, it's going to be a Twitter account in the next 48 hours. So I, I guess what, what's really interesting with that is that desire is ungovernable and you can't govern it through the state tries to govern desire and it doesn't work the church tries to govern desire and it doesn't work and the hard left is also not going to be able to govern desire and dictate what is what is sort of normal and normal and kind of yeah, acceptable and what's okay and what becomes erotic mm. is that which is taboo and forbidden to us so should we strategically make things taboo then which <laughs> we actually want people to pursue and tell them not to do it or <laughs> Well, that is a good question, isn't it? And that's the sort of constant conflict. And I think that is about the... What's really interesting about sexual desire is the... I'm going to get quite esoteric here. That's because I've had a couple of pints as well. But it's the impossibility of the human condition, right? So desire is not as... The, the, sort of, the common myth is desire is like an appetite. It's like hunger. You kind of want food and then you have it and you want sex and then you have it and then it's solved but actually desire is about wanting more so it's always about the crave it's a propelling forward it's um it's a motivation it's um it's about hope it's about a leap of faith it's about what you haven't yet got mm. so that constant trajectory of forward around desire um you can never kind of resolve it so there isn't an answer to it because there's a constant a constant mm. tension but i think it's quite interesting thing about like um sexual desire like that and political desire so i also think our political desires are like that right so mm. um labor in opposition might seem a bit like you know it's that early days that you're flirting it's like things are a bit cushy you kind of want something and you're not quite sure what it's going to be and you've got all the infatuation and the craving Labour and power isn't going to resolve any of those situations any more than actually going out with that person that you really, really want is going to resolve any of those contradictions at an early stage. Well, I, um, cause we, we last, last, last time we had the show, uh, we all went for a pint after and we got stuck in a very uh, long and bitter argument about BDSM. Oh, we're retreading this ground now. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on, boy. Um, that way. Because I, 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 I really like this. I really like the the view of your sexual desires is broadly the opposite of what you would present to the world, right? So, and and not even broadly the opposite. It's the direct dialectical opposite. Of, That's not quite it though, as well. It no, <laughs> it's the it's the tension between and the contradiction yeah. within. Right. So can't make like, anything into Marxist theory. Sorry. <laughs> so it's it's that our desires are in conflict with each other. So you also desire all the things you. Present as desiring, yeah, and you desire the other things mm -hmm. as well. But. Like I'm not, I'm not going to go into this too much because I feel like I would do it a disservice. But this does make me think of the Delusian like desiring machine thing, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I'm not going to go near too much, but it does sort of pertain to this as well of like us having these 
like different desires that then inform social mechanisms, basically. In in a very the Liz is next week. We've, okay, we've yeah, got yeah, Kieran, yeah. and he'll indulge you all you wish in okay, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I think what <laughs> I think you're the only one who's read him. <laughs> <laughs> it's next week in my syllabus. <laughs> After that, we can have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I've got another question, yeah. So we've looked at how politics helps you think about sex. What about vice versa? How does your understanding of sex inform your politics, if at all? Or do you sort of agree with James Connolly that actually politics isn't really about sex and we should actually focus on, you know, other things? And it's just sort of perverts that are trying to crowbar it in. <laughs> um I think they're two of I think they're like two enormous sort of drives and it's around um authentic connectedness. I think we're all desiring like some sort of experience of relating to other people and I think that um comes through our politics as well as uh through through our sexual desires. And I had this really great idea of what I was going to talk about on this and now I've completely forgotten so I'm okay. So that'll be the pint. Well I've got another question anyway. Sorry, I've only got one more though, so you better have an answer for this. Yeah, well the next question is so what what does the left get wrong about sex then, in your opinion? Here's where we really start denouncing people. This is this is the bit the listeners yeah, like we want names. Who are we yeah, cancelling? Yeah. This week? yeah, yeah. Who's getting cancelled? Who's who's in the wrong? As opposed to you who is obviously perfect. I am so in the wrong and many people have pointed that out. Um so I think um we we started to have a really interesting conversation before about um dating apps and things like that. So this isn't quite the answer about the left, but it's maybe about your kind of generation. Um so eighty percent of young people are using dating apps and um I think what people get wrong with this is it's like a checklist of um checklist of themselves as people or of their sexual identity and I think this again is something maybe well I think that the left has got wrong at the moment about sexuality um I think when when I came out at 14 my um it was all about my sexual motivation towards other people. It was like what I wanted. I wanted to have sex with girls. I really, that was like kind of this craving and desire. And now I think young people almost have this. Um, it's a sense of I am, not about their relatedness to. So it's where, who they are and what they are. And it's this list. I am into this and this and this. And I am this person and this person and this person. And not only does that make it people in a really fixed position... Um, but it doesn't seem to really work. So with dating apps, you'd have thought, I mean, the myth is, isn't it? We've got all this choice. We've got like, we've got masses of choice. We can say what we're into. We can go on, on a dating app and get reach all these people. And we should be getting this like really fulfilled sexual experiences. And actually millennials are having way less sex than my generation did. And you look like you've got, you're dying wow. to say, no, no, come, come, come. No, yeah, I was just thinking that's really insightful, what you're saying about identity. So, for example, you know, this idea of putting out a, a sort of fixed sexual identity. So, for example, I, I refer to myself as bisexual, uh, you know, but I feel like that's, that's more like a sort of label that describes something that is not, that doesn't really quite work, you know. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I feel very gay some days and I feel very not gay some other days and I feel like you know really when I when I try and use the term bisexual I'm 
you know, falsely ascribing this sort of stability to something that is just this wild, turbulent sort of like yeah. mix of weird repressed yeah, emotions yeah. that I don't quite understand, yeah. right? I mean, um, it would be way less fun if you understood them, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it would remove pretty much all the things that make it, you know, dirty and amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's about presentation and performance. And I think performance is where, so if I had one message for people, it would be pleasure, not performance. Mm. So performance is the thing that ruins everything. It's performance is why women can't come during sex. Performance is why men can't get erections. Do you know what I mean? These are the moments that, because they think they have to achieve a certain function and it's not about that. It's about our human connectedness to sound very over-romantic. But mm. I think that's true. And that's much easier if you're, I don't know, if the way you connect with people is in a pub, you're chatting with people, you're having a bit of a flirt, and there's all those subconscious um, desires going on mm. and those attractions going on. And it's much more complex and unknown. And that's how attraction works in a much better way than if you tick off if you swipe right and say yeah this is the person that oh yeah i want somebody who's into the gym 18 to 30 blah 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 do you know what i mean those mm. kind of things because those aren't the things that build up our dopamine pathways they're not the things where we're experiencing that um increased excitement alongside another person what we're doing is getting increased excitement towards an app so mm. every time we do that and we get a little dopamine rush we are then going back and doing it. Um, you know, we're, we're addicted to Tinder, not to the person that we're yeah, building yeah, up yeah. the desire for. And that's like that's capitalism winning, right? That's <laughs> that's that's us having less connectedness with each other and more connectedness with the market. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think that the damage done that you're talking about to the way people view their relationships is irreversible because of the how much it's been ingrained in people and using these kind of apps and viewing relationships in that way, or do you think it would be fairly easy to undo that um i well I, i'm a revolutionary i believe we can <laughs> i could believe we could destroy everything if we could destroy patriarchy we could destroy like a few years of tinder right so easy as pie you think I, well no not easy as pie and i think um and because sexuality is really complicated so the more nervous we get with it and things get put on it so now it's seen as creepy for example if somebody went up to someone in a pub and said mm. hey can i buy you a pint Right, that is now a little bit creepy. And you could do that on it because we compartmentalise. Sex is meant to happen on a dating app. What happens in the pub is this extra space. And that's, yeah, that's really problematic. And what we want is, um, I, I would suggest, like more grey areas, more fluidity between the two, and mm. more of a kind of understanding that our sexuality isn't something separate from the ways we usually interact with people. Mm. But it's part of it. Oh, I'm getting so many nods here. This is so validating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's roughly all we've got time for. So, towards a hornier society <laughs> seems to be the demand at the end of that, which I'm on board with. <laughs> all right, we're going to close with a song. We're going to close with a song selected by our culture correspondent, Harry Hayton Isles. What song are you going to leave us with um, today? It's called Udi Baba, right. and it's from a compilation of Bombay Disco records. Right, and why did you choose this record? Um, I'd like there to be some kind of more profound reason, but I just, <laughs> I literally heard it the other day and thought it was, you know, it's well class. Yeah. Well, we are a very profound show, as you've yeah. noticed. So <laughs> desire, that's a disappointment. That's yeah, Desire. Uh, exactly. Is it not on there, yeah. Liam? <laughs> it's not on there, Jesus. It should be on there. Okay. Um, you were the... Uh, yeah, it's really not on there. I don't know why. We'll play Gang of Four instead. No, yeah, we'll play a lead song. We'll play that next week, Harry. All right, this is To Hell With Poverty by one of the best bands, probably the best bands ever come from Leeds, uh, Gang of Four. <laughs> 